1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Shulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Dr. Bob McClure will be joining us. He's the CEO of the James Madison Institute. We'll be talking about election results. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author now of uh, several murder mysteries, Jim will be joining us as well. It is November the 14th and on this day in 1851, Moby Dick was published and is now considered a great classic of American literature and contains one of the most famous opening lines in fiction, Call Me Ishmael. Initially, though, the book uh, about Captain Ahab and his quest to catch a giant white whale was a flop. Its author, Herman Melville, was born in New York City in 1819. As a young man, he spent time in the Merchant Marines, the U.S. Navy, and on a whaling ship in the South Seas. In 1846, he published his first novel, Taipei, a romantic adventure based on his experiences in Polynesia. The book was a success, and a sequel, Omu, was published in 1847. Three more novels followed with mixed critical and commercial results. Melville's sixth book, Moby Dick, was first published in October 1851 in London in three volumes titled The Whale, and then in the U.S. a month later, Melville was promised his his publisher an adventure story similar to his popular early works, but instead, Moby Dick was a tragic epic influenced in part by Melville's friend and Pittsfield neighbor in Massachusetts, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who, of course, wrote The Scarlet Letter. After Moby Dick's disappointing reception, Melville continued to produce novels, short stories, and poetry, but writing wasn't paying the bills. In 1865, he returned to New York to work as a customs inspector, a job he held for 20 years. He died in 1891, largely forgotten by the literary world. Uh, By the 1920s, scholars had rediscovered his work, particularly Moby Dick, which would eventually become a staple of high school reading lists across the United States. Billy Budd, Melville's final novel, was published in 1924, 33 years after his death. Of course, now known as one of the Transcendentalists, Walden, of course, written by Thoreau, and uh, of course, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Uh, again, a movement within the literary community. Lamenting the reality of the Senate uh, will remain in Democrats' control for the next two years, Senator Josh Hawley is calling for an overhaul of the establishment Republican Party in Washington D.C. The old party is dead, he tweeted Saturday night. Time to re to bury it. Build something new. Hawley was reacting to the new Republican uh, Adam Laxalt's votes had been ta- overtaken by Southern Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, a Democrat in Nevada, clinching the Senate majority for Democrats. Washington Republicanism lost big Tuesday night, Holly tweeted this week. When your agenda is to cave to Big Pharma on insulin, cave to Schumer on gun control and Green New Deal infrastructure, and tease changes to Social Security and Medicare, you lose, he said. What are Republicans actually going to do for working people? He asked in a previous tweet Thursday, how about to start tougher tariffs on China, reshore American jobs, Open up American energy full throttle. 100,000 new cops on the street. Unrig the system, he he, uh, tweeted. Their remarks effectively support the agenda. Former President Donald Trump were pointed at at Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who pulled Senate leadership funding from Arizona to help uh, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. Both races were lost, giving the Democrat the majority again. You can't expect independent voters to vote Republican unless you give them an agenda they care about, Holly further railed on t- Twitter. Uh, Holly does not want the Senate to hold a leadership vote until after December 6 runoff in Georgia, uh, in the Georgia between uh, Senate Raphael Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker, the great one. Echoing the remarks of Senator Marco Rubio, exactly right. Uh, Holly tweeted, "I don't know why Senate GOP would hold a leadership vote for the next Congress before this election is finished. We have a runoff in Georgia state, uh, and the Senate." Are they saying that doesn't matter? Don't disenfranchise Herschel Walker, he tweeted. Walker's endorsed, of course, by Trump and McConnell, and have been fairly open in not backing Trump-backed candidates, save for Oz, even if it cost him the Senate. Well, I think um, McConnell did cost us the Senate, and it was pretty clear to me. His motivation was he'd rather be the minority leader than get, get voted out as uh, the majority leader in the Senate. So it is what it is, and now we move on. But uh, it looks to me like the Senate wants to replace McConnell and endorse the new Republican Party, which, of course, is making America great again. And former House Freedom Caucus chairman Andy Biggs is likely to run against House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to become the next Speaker of the House if Republicans lock down a majority in the lower chamber, which, God forbid if we don't, a member of the powerful conservative group confirmed on Sunday... Biggs has been critical of McCarthy's leadership in the minority, voicing voicing concerns that the California Republican won't prioritize issues important to the far right flank of the party. CNN first reported the news of Biggs' likely bid against McCarthy. I think we need to have a real discussion about whether he should be speaking or not. Uh, speaker or not, Biggs said on Thursday. I think his statement recently that we shouldn't impeach Senator Mayorkas indicates that maybe we're not going to be as aggressive towards going forward, as we should be. I think we need to have a very positive statement of what we're going to accomplish and do, and I haven't seen that yet, he added. That's the, uh, those are the things that I think we should have a very frank discussion internally about where are we going to, uh, to go forward. Uh, the news of big expected run uh, comes as House Republicans are slated to hold their elections on Tuesday. A number of both current and incoming lawmakers have been vocal in their calls for conference to push back its leadership elections until they know the final makeup of the House. I don't think we even know if uh, if we're in the majority or not, so I think it's resp- irresponsible to go move forward without knowing that. Uh, that, according to uh, George Santos, a Republican from New York, McCarthy has continued to express confidence in the likelihood that Republicans taking the majority despite the f- Parties failing significant, falling significantly short of his projection last year of the GOP who could pick up 60 seats. Tuesday's leadership election is slated to be conducted via closed ballot and will only require a plurality of the conference to secure the nomination. McCarthy would need to reach 218 votes during the floor floor vote in January, with a projected razor-thin majority making it a steeper climb than previously expected. So uh, again, McConnell. Maybe on the way out, maybe McCarthy as well. Uh, We shall see. Did you hear a loud boom on Saturday? Well, the Space Force X-37B ship landed in Florida's Kenny Space Center Saturday after completing a record 908 days in orbit. Boeing's design of the uh, reusable ship has now lasted 1.3 billion miles across 3,774 days in space throughout its six missions. Its latest mission was the first with a service module uh, when it launched from Cape Canaveral's uh, Space Force Station in May 2020, which stopped its landing. The force of the uh, landing caused a sonic boom across Florida. Since the uh, X-37B's first launch in 2010, it's shattered records and provided our nation with an unrivaled capability to rapidly test and integrate new space technologies Boeing Space and Launch Senior Vice President Jim Chilton said in a statement, with a service module added, this was the most we've ever carried in orbit on the X-37B and we're proud to have been able to prove out this new and flexible capability for the government and its industry partners. The mission included cooperation with the Department of Air Force's Rapid Capabilities Office to conduct a solar energy experiment and other experiments on the FalconSat 8 satellite, which has been in orbit since October 2021. This is very interesting. The landing comes after NASA was forced to postpone its Artemis 1 launch in Space, Canada, uh, Space Center for the fourth time due to, of course, Hurricane Nicole. Well, uh, Crypto World is experiencing a reckoning. Uh, it's pretty interesting. This is the about FTX and its founder, Sam Brinkman Fried. In 2017, the then 25 year old financial trader found founded Alameda Research, a hedge fund dealing in crypto. Two years later, he set up FTX, an exchange platform that anyone could use to trade crypto. FTX, short for Future Exchange, became the world's second largest crypto exchange. And last year, SBF, as he's known, was uh, valued as up to $30 billion, with profiles hailing him as the next Warren Buffett. All that thanks to Alameda and FTX, two separate companies, at least they were supposed to be. On November the 2nd, a story broke that Alameda, at this point run by SBF's on-again, off-again girlfriend, was financially dependent on a coin affiliated with FTX. That led to concern about financial health of both companies and a sell-off of the coin. An estimated $6 billion worth of withdrawals were requested in three days, but FTX uh, didn't have the funds to give the people back their investments. Binance, a rival crypto exchange, agreed to buy out FTX, but then backed out of it the next day. All this came out of reports that FTX was being investigated by the feds. So on Friday, with a lifeline, FTX filed, without a lifeline, uh, filed for bankruptcy. Oh, and it was allegedly hacked too. FTX's turmoil has sent crypto prices spiraling with Bitcoin and Ethereum dropping more than 20%. Some are calling it the worst crisis for the crypto world since the new idea of digital currency took hold in the 2010s. Many are comparing FTX to Lehman Brothers or Enron. Meanwhile, the SEC, Justice Department, and Bahamian Police are, have launched investigations. This can include allegations that SBF improperly transferred as much as $10 billion in customer funds to prop up Alameda, a good chunk of which seems to have disappeared. As for SBF... He says that he screwed up. Different language, but he screwed up. It comes as 94% of his net worth is now gone out of that $30 billion, probably ending his run as the Democratic Party's second largest donor. Crypto has never been a safe bet, but a key selling point has been that no matter how much it's worth, the currency is secure and traceable. Now, after months of tough news for crypto, some are wondering whether the fallout from FTX can be contained or whether it will keep dragging the entire crypto industry down. So it uh, turns out, and I'm not going to have trouble trying, uh, right now in this segment to cover this, but the billions of dollars going to the U- Ukraine, well, it happened in crypto. And uh, evidence suggests that tens of billions of dollars went to the Ukraine or actually laundered back to the U.S. To, to fund candidates for the midterm elections. So disappointing. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs)
0: 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social's a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Bob McClure, the CEO of the James Madison Institute. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a terrific multimedia website for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you'll visit HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. Well, so much news breaking around the world. And I thought we'd start off our discussion with uh, what's happening in Ukraine.
3: Well, Ukraine was a big day for the Ukrainians uh, yesterday or Saturday, I guess, as they um, retook the city of Kherson and the whole area of Kherson. The, the um, Russians had to give up the whole area of the of the West Bank of the Dnieper River. Because uh, they weren't able to hold on to it anymore, they've been cut off by the Ukrainians, who are su- who were successfully um, cutting off all of their supplies and everything else. Mm. So um, it's you know for them it's a big day. They've made a major progress. It was the only provincial provincial capital that the Russians had held, and they were forced to withdraw from it. Um, and as of right now, you know, it continues to be that the Ukrainians are, have the upper hand at this point. The Russians are sending all sorts of untrained troops to try to stem the Ukrainians, but it's not working very well.
1: So uh, did I read correctly that uh, that right now Putin is calling for some peace discussions?
3: No, he's not. There are various people in the West calling for peace discussion. Putin has made no no such thing about a peace discussion. Uh, it's a very interesting situation where we have people in the West, the people on the American right once in a while. Other, other, other leaders say, well, maybe it's time for peace negotiations, but nothing at all like that from Putin.
1: Hmm. So interesting. So
3: it's not uh, – it's wishful thinking on everyone's part that you know, suddenly Putin is going to become uh, amenable to a solution that would be acceptable to the Ukrainians or the rest of the world, frankly, for that matter. How are the Russian people
1: um, responding to this?
3: They're not happy at this point. They're, you know, they're, they're both unhappy because they're losing. They're unhappy because they're losing men. And obviously, people don't want to fight. I mean, they had this great mobilization. More men left the country than went into the army. Yeah. So huge numbers of Russian men all over the rest of the world, but, you know, the way they could go to. Um, so the people are not happy. But you know, it's not a democracy in Russia.
1: So I, I read that the uh, Russians in the street were demonizing the United States.
3: That was that was what those were like, you know, planned demonstrations,
1: so to speak. Okay, so not Um, nothing to it then.
3: Nothing to it, nothing significant to it. Let's put it that way.
1: Okay, very good. So uh, where do we go from here? What are your thoughts?
3: I mean, I think um, I think the war will go on through the winter into the next summer. Um, I think the Russians will slowly, continuously lose. Uh, The time is on the Ukrainian side because they're they're. Military is getting better and better, actually, and they're getting better armed from, from the West. Um, at some point, maybe someone put a bullet through Putin's head, or at some point, uh, maybe he will be willing to negotiate. I mean, I can see negotiations that end up with recognizing Crimea as part of Russia and everything else reverts to Ukraine and Ukraine joins NATO. Hmm. It's not exactly, not exactly what he would want, but that's the reality. I think that's the possible uh, negotiated settlement, but we'll have to see. I'm not sure the Ukrainians will accept any part of Ukraine being part of Russia.
1: What What are the implications of winter coming on now for, for what's going on?
3: Well, look, I mean, uh, winter is always a problem for, for militaries that aren't equipped. It seems, from what I can understand, the Ukrainian army... Um, is is well equipped for winter for the winter in terms of um in terms of uh their their equipment and their clothing and everything else ukraine knows what winter is mm-hmm. um it's been a warmer winter, winter generally in europe and in ukraine than than it has been historically um usually the you know the the pace of fighting goes down but it didn't stop during world war 2 there's no reason to accept it to to stop here um the in-between season is the hottest when it's muddy. So when it gets to hard winter, the earth freezes up again, and it's more maneuverable for tanks and everything else. Um, we'll have to see. But look, the the momentum is on the Ukrainian side, and you don't give up you you don't give up momentum easily. Let's put it that way.
1: Absolutely. On the other hand, people are dying. So I mean, it's the I
3: think that's... people are dying. That's true. So the Russians can end it. You know, they can just stop this.
1: Yeah. So let's let's uh move to what's happening right now in the uh Biden is visiting with Xi Xi uh, today at the summit uh during the G20 meeting can you kind of set the table for us and tell us what's going on? Well,
3: okay, so I mean the meeting is going to take is taking place I think as we're speaking now the meeting is currently taking place with Xi. I mean obviously there are many policy differences between the Chinese and the United States at the moment. Um President Biden has been has taken a number of steps to limit American technological exports to China, and it's been quite effective from what I understand at this point. Hmm. Um, so the Chinese can't be happy about that. Um, and of course, the Chinese have been walking this line vis-a-vis Taiwan. On the other hand, you know they're, we're major trading partners between the United States and China, and no one wants that trading relationship to go away. And on top of which is Taiwan, and there's a question of you know Russian support now also. And the Russians have not been supporting. Excuse me, the Russians. The Chinese have not been supporting the Russians um, in the way that we feared. Uh, Clearly, the Chinese are unhappy with the war in Ukraine because it's bad for business. And the Ukrainian, the Russians. Well, I'm mixing these people up here. The Chinese, uh, more than anything else, uh, were hoping to win the war and win, win the war economically and when business is bad it's bad for them as well and of course their their economy is also somewhat in trouble so they really don't want this war to continue and uh, minimally they don't they don't like the talk that the russians have of using nuclear weapons
1: now, i don't know or if weapons. this is i don't know if this is a saber rattling but it, the russians uh, or the chinese apparently are trying to mobilize or preparing to mobilize for international war or for war uh, to or to take over taiwan that's at least the headlines what are your thoughts
3: I think that's just a fake headline. They're not about to mobilize now. I mean, will they somehow, sometime, go to go to military action to take over Taiwan? I think we have to assume it's a possibility, but nothing right now. Yeah. There's no, there's no significant. They have no interest. They're not ready yet to take over Taiwan, and um, they still would hope to get Taiwan by relatively peaceful purposes, peaceful direction. So I don't see them going to to war right now for Taiwan. It makes it has no no sense, and any headline like that is just. Uh, you know, trying to change the topic, let's put it that way.
1: Okay, so um, right, I'd be interested in your comments also right now that uh, this uh, real estate problem in China is not going away. How is that affecting and influencing the internal issues in China?
3: Well, it, it's really a, a real problem in China. I mean, their economic output has been down. The, the real estate is a major overhang because there really are not, not enough people for all the housing that was built. And so a lot of the big housing companies are are in trouble. Um, It's a real significant problem for the Chinese at this point uh, for their economy. On the other hand, ultimately they'll bail them out in one way or another. So uh, I think it's a significant problem, but um, it's probably manageable. But again, you know, one of the things that we we assumed was that the Chinese were this unstoppable um, machine that was going to beat the United States economically, Without a doubt, and nothing we can do about it. But I've repeated before I said on this program that in 1980s we thought that of the Japanese, right, it didn't exactly work out that way. The Japanese ended up buying, um, I guess it was Rockefeller Center, but that ended up being not a very useful, useful asset. Let's put it that well, way. Well, they
1: bought they bought up uh, real estate all over the United States at the top of the market. It was a, right. a total trap. Not a
3: very good investment. What did it do for them exactly? So Not, not a liquid.
1: Not a thing. You know? Mark, we well, need to take a little break and you stick around.
3: Absolutely,
4: Bob. All right,
1: we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, a building a 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. Also, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. So uh, Biden said uh, that when he meets with Z, he wants to find out where the red lines are for both sides, the guardrails, so to speak, to prevent, from, uh, I guess, uh, prohibit us from going to war. Any thoughts?
3: Yeah, absolutely. In other words, look, we're, we're in um, a confrontation with the Chinese. There's no question. They're our economic, um, not our enemy, but our ec- economic rival. And every, each side is trying to get the most it can from that rivalry, and there's a concern that it could turn into a military rival. And so the key is to understand one another, to understand uh, what's the most important thing to the Chinese, what we can do to avoid you know, conflict, how we can try to... Uh, resolve things that can be resolved let's put it that way our uh, mm-hmm. basic differences may be impossible to resolve but um but there are things that we can do obviously and um so i think it's a good thing that he's doing that and we'll see i mean uh biden's an experienced diplomat and been doing this for a long time so we can hope that it works that's all I can say. Well,
1: you know, there could be un, uh, unexpected surprises, and uh, you know. but at least when people are talking, <laughs> they're not fighting, or they could be fighting while they're talking, but uh, it could help to resolve some dish, uh, issues. So, let's. Let That's t- right.
3: Talking is always best.
1: Always best. So, uh, a bombing in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, so the bombing took place yesterday. The Turks are claiming um, that it was the Kurdish resistance. Um and the Kurdish resistance actually said that it's not them, they didn't do it. Um, hmm. uh, interestingly enough, the United States offered its um offered its um condolences which were not accepted by the uh by the Turks claiming that it was um the United States somehow by supporting in some form or other the Kurds were sort of responsible.
1: Um, now aren't they in NATO? I mean it's <laughs> that's kind of an interesting reaction.
3: Yeah, well that's one of the interesting things. The relationship with uh with the um Turks has always been kind of complicated, mm-hmm. to say the least. Um and um we'll have to see. Um uh, we'll have to see. Uh the Turks have their own own sort of um View of the world that's quite quite unique, um, but um, this is the first time there's been a violence in Ankara in a couple of years, so it's unclear who set off the bomb. You know, it's claiming it's the Kurds, but we don't know that for a fact.
1: Well, you know, the, there's a very conspicuous absence of terrorism, you know, major terroristic attacks around the globe now for a couple of years. Any comments on that?
3: Yeah, look, I think ISIS, the back of ISIS was. Was broken, so the, that sort of terrorism uh, is has been taken care of. Look, we the United States spends some humongous sum of money on its anti-terrorist actions. I don't even know the full sum because it's, of course, multiple departments, but it's in the tens and tens of billions of dollars. So I, the whole network that was set up after nine eleven. Um, so the result has been it's been very effective. There's been more, obviously, more domestic terrorism in the United States, than there's been foreign terrorism now. Um, the money works. The effort seems to have worked. I mean, we can talk about the government being inefficient, and maybe it should have be been able to do it for half the price. But we got to say that um, all this effort and all this money has certainly been successful in fighting international terrorism. Yeah, it gets harder and harder these days with all the intercepts and everything that the intelligence services are capable of doing of being successfully pulling off uh, terrorist acts.
1: So to watch, interesting.
3: You what know, goal?
1: Yeah. So let, let's uh, talk about. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. With what's happening in Iran and how how are the protests going in the uh, in the violence in the city of in the streets of Iran?
3: First of all, they're continuing. That's step one. That's the most important thing to think about. Is they they're continuing. <laughs> they go up and out, up and down during the course of the week, but they're continuing. We're seeing more and more demonstrations of sports groups and other people who refuse to abide by the symbol of the state. And um, that's really a uh, a big plus, let's put it that way. Again, we just don't know. I mean, um, one of the heads of the IRG the, um, said that we could go, this is going to end, we're ending it now, but it didn't successfully end it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful but we just don't know. It, we, we do not know. It, it's clear that that the steps that they have taken um, have not successfully suppressed the demonstrations until now, and it's widespread at this point. The regime is wildly unpopular. And, um, you know, maybe there's a chance. Maybe. It's, it, it's it's hard to get too hopeful because the positive result of that is so great that you don't want to get too hopeful.
1: I know. So uh, but before I let you go, though... Uh... Uh, elections in Israel forming a government right now and uh, by the way, our, for our listeners' benefit, you're in Tel Aviv right now, so right. right.
3: So I mean clearly um, Prime Minister, former and future Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, has the votes to form a coalition. The problem he's having is getting everyone to agree uh, to, um, to, to join his government under what terms everyone wants. A particular position. One of the things that are uniquely about Israel, more than most other parliamentary democracies, is basically there's a, uh, a negotiations of who gets what job. You know, who becomes the defense minister, who becomes the finance minister, who becomes the the housing minister, and all these different jobs. And unfortunately, not as it is in the case in the United States, people get these jobs not based on their abilities, but based on their political power in order to get them and as opposed to, let's say, the British who have like what's called a shadow government, so you know who's going to become the finance minister if the Labour takes, takes over from the conservatives, for instance. Um, but in Israel, it's really a question of negotiations between the big parties and the smaller parties that make up the coalition. And right now, there's some of the smaller parties are demanding uh, positions that are very difficult for Netanyahu to agree to, but Netanyahu has a problem. He can't not agree because, because he's on trial for bribery and and um, other other charges relating to the time he was been prime minister, and the only way to stop that trial, in his mind, is to become prime minister again. So,
1: do you think uh, do you think he, he's motivated for for the good of the people of Israel to be, to run as prime minister? No,
3: no, he's very motivated because he wants to get out of his trial. I mean, yes, he thinks he can save the people of Israel in some form or another. Uh, he has that uh, that sense, but. By and large, the reason he's he's doing this is he wants to find a way of getting out of his trial because most observers believe he will be found guilty. He goes on forever. That's the whole of the story. about Israeli court systems; they go on forever and ever and ever. I mean,
1: kind of like it, here. There
3: was <laughs> n- well, not do you'd be surprised. Comparatively, let's put it this way: one witness was held in cross examination for a month and a half. Wow. So you would not have that in the American system. But keep in mind that the Israeli system does not have juries; it has judges. And you can't hold the jury for this long, obviously, in the United States. So huh,
1: Interesting. Um, are, are these officials that are appointed, uh, are they approved by the... Like we approve, our, for example, officials' uh, uh, appointments in the Senate. Is there a uh, similar type of requirement?
3: The Knesset has to approve it, but the way it works is the Knesset is a... Uh, you know, the coalition automatically, whoever the coalition ends up being, automatically has a majority. Mm-hmm. So... They don't look at the individual appointments. They just look at the whole the whole group.
1: So interesting. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, and encourage you to visit HistoryCentral.com, multimedia experience. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, always appreciate By the way, uh, you've been on the show, and I, th- I think I've calculated, somewhere near 14 years every uh, Monday morning, so I just really appreciate your commentary.
3: My pleasure. I think I missed one time I was in California. The the hours didn't
1: work. (laughs) Again, thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Dr. Bob McClure. He is the CEO of the James Madison Institute. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show Come back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTegg. Right now we have with us Dr. Bob McClure. He is the CEO of the James Madison Institute. Dr. McClure, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, how are you? Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Doctor. So, uh, James Madison Institute, maybe you can tell us about it. The
2: James Madison Institute is Florida's leading and most important uh, public policy organization. Our job is, we're in the ideas business. Our job is to work with elected officials, uh, to work with the private citizens across the state, uh, to advance policies. Uh, much like you said in your opener, that promote free market capitalism, personal responsibility, and limit the role of government in our daily lives. And the last thing I, w- I would add that I think is really important is private philanthropy. That is to say, if we believe government should be should not be in the business of handouts, where will should the primary safety net come from? And we believe it comes from private philanthropy. So that's kind of a fourth component. We're based in Tallahassee. But we're statewide. We're in your neck of the woods quite a lot, Bob, in the Naples-Fort Myers area. And the fact that we run a think tank in arguably the most important state in the country when it comes to policy and politics gives us entree to Washington, D.C., where we do a lot of work and actually have opened an office. Uh, And we also work in other states. Right now we're working in about 14 other states. Wow to uh, make America Florida, and that's kind of what our goal is. So Florida will always be our bread and butter. We saw that last Tuesday. really look forward to talking about that. But we have a national platform to advance the same principles that you talk about every day on your show.
1: Well, thank you for that, Dr. Bob McClure. It's just so interesting to hear the expansion of James Madison Institute. Uh, It's my go-to place for any kind of policy information of what's happening in Florida. I'd encourage our listeners to visit jamesmadison.org, jamesmadison.org. So I wanted to get just asking an open question. The election results uh, on this past Tuesday in Florida, uh, just a major red wave, not so much across the country. What are your thoughts?
2: Oh, it was a huge red wave in Florida. Florida has become ruby red, Bob. I mean, if you look at all of the data, Governor DeSantis won 62 of 67 counties. The five counties he lost um, are typically blue counties, but even in those counties, he improved his margins immensely. So, for example, You know, if he lost Broward, I don't know the exact numbers, let's say by 25 or 30 percent four years ago. He only lost it by 12 percent this year. Uh, Same thing in Alachua, same thing in um, um, Leon County and across the state. So even in the five counties that he lost, he tremendously improved uh, his numbers. Secondly, for the first time in over 20 years, he won Miami-Dade County. Mm-hmm. Miami-Dade County is the majority Hispanic district, seventy percent. And uh, it hasn't been one since Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush was married to a, is married to a Mexican American woman and spoke fluent Spanish. And so uh, and the dynamics of miami-dade today compared to twenty years ago, is not even the same. So incredible response in miami-Dade county. Um, and so you saw a governor who, uh, it was just – uh, the the wave was incredible. And last thing, a lot of people don't know this. At this counting – now, California is still counting because they're California. At this counting, Governor DeSantis won Florida by a, a higher percentage than Gavin Newsom won California. You think about that. Yeah. That is a stunning statistic. And so the governor has proven – and we talk about this at JMI all the time – kind of the, the four Cs of – of victory in election number one you got to have confidence got to be confident what you do we saw that with the hurricanes number two you got to have conviction number three you got to have courage and number four you got to have confidence and the governor has exhibited this over the last four years and the florida voters rewarded him for
1: it uh, no question about it and i'm so well what do you see in uh, in in florida that's transferable to sort of some of these other states that you're working with
2: Well, I think the key component is that you have to be competent in what you're doing. I think what we saw uh, across the country – and you have to have kind of this confidence to get it done. So (laughs) I think what we saw across the country is that um, the voters want someone who uh, understands where they are and and, and can – can be competent in their efforts, in their work. So you saw uh, a, a red wave in uh, Georgia, a mini red wave. You saw, obviously, one in Florida. Texas continues to, to move in that direction. You're seeing it in certain states where uh, competent elected officials uh, are, are uh, being rewarded. I do think uh, the Dobbs decision affected... Some independent voters. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that this relentless mantra on the part of the left that democracy is under attack, January 6th, I think those kinds of kind of crazy things had more of an effect on people than we initially thought in other states. But you can overwhelm those things if you are competent in what you do and you have the courage of your convictions. And if that, we can take that model in Florida. Uh, we can carry that to the other states and continue to uh, move America towards greater free market capitalism.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Bob. I, my personal observation, I was uh, sorely disappointed, deflated uh, the day after the election because of the, the election results that we saw. Uh, and uh, But I was so pleased in Florida. And one of the things I, I, I concluded is that uh, our governor— uh, Ron DeSantis, he walks the walk. In other words, he 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 said has believes what, what he what he says, and he why he actually commits to uh, doing what he says as well. So, in other words, there's no no waffling, there's no political gesturing or or spinning or so forth. He just he just uh, acts on on his beliefs.
2: There's no doubt about it. It's the courage of his convictions. I mean, you think about what he did, whether it was taking on uh, the woke culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking on Disney, kind of the iconic brand for the state of Florida, um, advancing school choice in the face of withering criticism, keeping the economy open, keeping our schools open. You know, he was considered, you know, kind of a crazy kind of Dr. Death when he decided to keep the economy open and the schools open, and he's been shown to be right. We're now being asked by many on the left uh, for some sort of COVID amnesty because they realized how wrong they were uh, on this issue. And you're absolutely right. The governor uh, has the courage of his convictions and, and Floridians rewarded him for it.
1: You know, it kind of reminds me of Thomas Sewell's great quote, (laughs) which is, you know, people will always forgive you for being wrong, but they'll never forgive you for being right in the face of evidence that proves it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> and, so true, and and that's exactly what uh, you know. I think about uh, Ladapo, uh, our Surgeon General, and the yep. Governor. They've been proven so right so often with regard to this uh, vaccine mandate that it's uh, just so grateful for their leadership because of the results in education and so many different ways that uh, have proven to be so positive by comparison to the rest of the country.
2: There's no doubt about it. And the amazing thing, too, is in Florida, the governor had tremendous coattails. I mean, Palm Beach County uh, voted majority for the governor. He, he carried across a number of school boards around the state. Yep. Uh, there are now super majorities in both the House and the Senate. Uh, up here in the capital city, which is a very blue county, it voted 68 percent for Barack Obama twice, uh, it voted for Hillary Clinton and it voted for Joe Biden in the mid '60s. Here in the capital city, we experienced a small red wave. Elected a reasonable uh, mayor, school board has um, you know has become much more reasonable. And our state legislator in Tallahassee is a Republican. So you saw coattails uh, across the state for this governor, and you're going to see some really interesting things in this new legislative session now that they have super majorities in both the House and the Senate.
1: No question again, Dr. Bob McClure, CEO of the James Madison Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, jamesmadison.org. Dr. McClure, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Bob, thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many books. His latest, No Problem, that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: Back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. The website is thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barons Washington Bureau Chief, who retired just a couple of years ago. And now is writing novels. Uh, three sequels. The first is uh, "Follow the Leader." The second novel, "Shake the Money Tree," and the final novel is "No Problem." Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well,
4: oh, it's a pleasure. I feel warm. It's it's in the thirties up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I retired. Uh, I, I left the the Washington D.C. area to uh, cozy Lancaster, and. Uh, uh, this is
1: the first really cold day we've had all year. Well, um, I'm just uh, I'm just looking outside right now. It looks like it's been a pretty lovely day here on the Paradise Coast. So, Jim, this FTX thing, what do you make of it? And I'm talking about the, this. Looks like they've declared bankruptcy. Now, this is the exchange uh, and uh, the Alameda. I guess that's the, uh, the his uh, hedge fund of. Uh, really in trouble and there's missed billions of dollars missing what's going on yeah it's amazing because
4: i've ignored cryptocurrency i could never get my uh, head around it and so um, i refuse to invest in something i don't understand right so uh, uh, by the way i also refused for years to invest in anything to do with china so uh, ftx the the 30 year old ceo managed to bedazzle the public with his uh, brilliance of creating this exchange, uh, you know, I've seen valuations like it was worth 30 billion or some crazy number. Mm -hmm. And a lot of established firms, pension funds, big name asset managers like BlackRock, invested heavily with this guy. And what they did was, you know, they convert your dollars into um, some digital currency and pay you a rate of interest on it that was above market rate. Uh, what the investors didn't know was that the uh, CEO of the company was taking their funds and investing it in a subsidiary of his run by a, a girlfriend that who, who was making a very risky bets. And when the news hit, there was a run on FTX, and it collapsed. And and in, in the midst of the collapse, somebody hacked it and and stole an estimated three hundred million dollars. So um, it's it's a really interesting story, but for me, it's a harbinger of of bigger and worse things to come when the recession hits in twenty twenty three. I have no doubt that we'll have a recession because of the Fed's aggressive uh rate increases and i when you see these regulated firms these asset managers uh, putting money into an ftx without proper due diligence i mean these guys should have known about the subsidiaries it tells me that the regulated firms our banks our asset managers uh, uh you name it are have become very complacent number one and that the people at the Securities and Exchange uh, Commission, uh, the banking regulators have also become complacent. And, and I can say this because I, I'm an old-timer. I lived through the uh, uh, 70s uh, collapse, the S&L crisis, uh, several banking crises, yep. and the handwriting is on the wall again. And I'm amazed that the current generation on Wall Street doesn't see or understand this they uh i'm still hearing people on wall street predicting a soft landing which is ridiculous yeah, because it is.
1: Uh, well yeah, you yeah. know jim uh, is kind of interesting too uh the other part of this backstory here is that uh, sam brinkman Fried is his name is a prolific donor to the democrat party and he's a uh, helped to fund people or, or support the, the whole notion of uh, the, the oversight of the cryptocurrency markets uh, he's had trying to have tremendous influence I suspect he did have on the futures Trading Commission it's called the CFTC. The other part here though apparently a lot of the uh, money that went to Ukraine billions of dollars uh, many of it's come has uh, been in cryptocurrency and coming back to the United States to help fund Democrat elections have you heard that?
4: I haven't heard that. I, I mean, I'd have to check out the sources of the news to see if that's positive or not. Be but um, the, um, you know, this is typical, you know, uh, it's an alleged, uh, using alleged affinity fraud. You know, we don't know. Uh, we can't say that he was a, a, a criminal. Uh, we, we, You know, he might have been incompetent. Uh, but, you know, contributing heavily, say, to the Democratic Party, uh, are you friends in power right and i i've seen similar frauds where somebody joins a a gigantic church and they recruit the pastor and, and it's a ponzi scheme and the pastor thinks uh it's legitimate and recruits all his parishioners and then the whole the whole thing collapses and um so it's the same thing. This,
1: uh, well, you know, it's uh, apparently the uh, my reports say that uh, the, uh, the crypto company FTX uh, gave at least forty million dollars to Democrat candidates, and causes. That's the,
4: accurate. Yes, that's
1: accurate. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of influence. Uh,
4: it is, but I, but when you look at a person like that, it, I mean. Uh, uh, the Republicans are lucky he didn't give any to, to them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, he just decided to pick the, the the Democrats. So now my point is that that when you have aggressive rate hikes, and we saw this under Volcker, uh, you're going to have a recession.
1: Yeah.
4: And, and there's an old saw, and you know it because you, you were in the business a long time. When the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing a bathing suit. So <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of regulated companies. Uh, based on what I see at FTX, are probably complacent and taking big risks in other areas of the economy. And when a recession hits, uh-huh. uh, it's they're going to suffer. We're going to see some financial collapses. And, uh, and I think they're underestimating the odds and the severity of a recession that I'm predicting will begin in the second quarter of 2023
1: uh, i'll tell you in so many ways it looks like it's already started jim <laughs> but we'll we'll see uh again jim mctagg former barons washington bureau chief and author of great murder mysteries i've enjoyed them so much follow the leader its sequel shake the money tree and its sequel uh no problem i hope uh, you just check it out and uh get a copy of the book you can't put it down jim i always appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much for joining us Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun. Uh, tomorrow, we've got great guests, including Kathleen Pasadena, our soon-to-be uh, state senator president. We'll also visit with... The, she is now a state senator. She's going to become president of the Senate. Seton Miley, he's the founder and president of Less Government. Uh, and Boo Mortens will be joining us as well. Boo is... Uh, a former radio host in Madison, Wisconsin, and now just uh, kind of a lighter side of the show. She'll be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.